Hello and welcome to the latest in Pillsbury's in-flight audio series. Today we'll be discussing private jets, looking at recent market developments, the impact of recent Russian sanctions, and finally taking a look at the issue of sustainability, and specifically sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF, in the context of private jets. My name is Jonathan Madewell. I'm a senior associate in Pillsbury's asset finance team in London, and I'll be your host for today. I'm joined by my guest Richard Evans from Sunny LA. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. No problem. So just to give a bit of background on Richard, he's a partner in Pillsbury's LA office. His practice encompasses all aspects of asset finance, and he regularly works with ultra-high net worth individuals and lenders, not only on business jet transactions, but also on other asset classes like yachts, automobiles, artwork, and in conjunction with other practice areas too. Pillsbury works closely with industry organisations like NBAA, Corporate Jet Investor and Revolution Aero, to cover the latest legal and business developments. Richard hosted CJI's bank panel that was held online last year. You may recall him from there. Richard, did you want to introduce yourself as well briefly? Sure. Thanks, Jonathan. Yes, my practice is mostly transactional. I help people and companies buy, sell, lease and finance aircraft. On the private jet side, uh, we've got the expertise at Pillsbury to advise on everything from jet subscription contracts to multi-billion dollar fleet financings. And we also have the practice areas to cover those transactions, including the estates, trusts, and tax planning, executive benefits. Uh, we've got the regulatory angle covered and also sanctions. Okay, thanks for that, Richard. So let's kick off with our first topic for discussion today. So obviously, we're, we're all kind of sick of hearing about COVID by now, but it is helpful to quickly assess its impact on the business jet market over the course of the last two years. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, aside from the, the, the human cost of the pandemic and the effect on everyone's daily lives, it was hugely disruptive for the economy and for certain industries, with aviation being one of the hardest hit. However, in 2020 and 2021, uh, we saw a dramatic growth in the business jet market. I've spoken to several broker contacts who've been in the industry for 30 years or more, and they haven't seen anything like it. There was a huge increase in demand for business jets during the lockdown, uh, particularly um, when there were drastically limited options for travel on commercial airlines. Uh, there were also more new entrants to the market than ever before. This led to an increase in prices for new and used aircraft and significant pressure on um, the shortage of pilots, maintenance providers, and FBOs who are still trying to keep up with demand. So, I mean, it, it's certainly positive to hear some fairly decent signs from at least some parts of the aviation sector during the last couple of years then. But what have people been looking to buy specifically? Are we talking new or pre-owned or, or both? Uh, really, it's both and whatever's available. There's certainly more limitations on the new market than used, as you can imagine. Um, there was even a, a brief pause of being able to take delivery of aircraft um, as a result of the lockdown affecting the factories. Uh, for now, at least, the market for new jets has bounced back, although lack of delivery slots has skewed the power balance in favor of sellers. Um, and that looks like it's going to continue to be the case for a while. One regular feature of the transactions we work on is that they're, they're heavily dependent on tax advice, which affects the structuring of the transaction and sometimes even the timing of the transaction. So um, it's good to have a, a decent amount of lead time with the client to prepare for a new delivery. Um, and that's usually done alongside the little sort of aircraft search process with the broker. 
Uh, we also see the last quarter of the year being a particular rush to deliver both new and used aircraft. In the US, that's driven by the bonus depreciation rules, which means that it's advantageous to take delivery towards the end of the year um, for a buyer who's using the, the aircraft predominantly for business purposes. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, and how, how have people been funding their purchases? How does that work? Uh, we advise several banks in relation to the financing of these types of transactions. Um, in terms of financing, the banking landscape includes several banks with specialist aviation lending teams. I would include um, Citi, First Republic, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, and Bank of America in that list. And we also see banks like JP Morgan Chase, MEFG Union Bank, Wilmington Trust, UBS, and BNY Mellon provide financing to their customers on big asset purchases like aircraft um, as a sort of customer relationship transaction. Given the widespread availability of cheap debt, buyers have naturally been using debt to finance their purchases. Uh, similarly, current jet owners have been refinancing their assets in order to free up some capital for investment purposes. The dominant view in this area is that it's sensible to use debt to finance assets that go down in value and cash to finance assets that go up. So lenders have been challenged to price their debt accordingly to make it attractive to buyers when measured against cash as the alternative option. There's arguably an exception to this if local exchange controls restrict the use of cash or in certain circumstances, we've seen recently, and that was a trend during um, the last two years, where liquidating large amounts of cash from sources like cryptocurrency um, would take too much time to complete the transaction in the time available. Okay. So, I mean, in, t in terms of making debt attractive then, are interest rates the key to attracting borrower clients? The Fed recently increased its, its base interest rate which should then see increased engagement from lenders in general, given that they're now looking for higher returns, right? But how does that play out for relationship banks in, in this sector? I think the, uh, the interest rate is less of a driver in this market than many other financing markets. The relationship banks in this sector are usually pretty accommodating to their borrower clients. And, you know, as I mentioned with the list of banks that are in this sector, there's quite a bit of competition. So there are factors for the bank outside of their margin that make it an attractive option for them to, to finance their customers' acquisition of, a, of an aircraft. And from the, the customer perspective, they want to borrow money to buy the aircraft, um, not necessarily because they don't have the cash or other means to pay cash for the aircraft, but because they back themselves to make their capital work for them with their returns outweighing the lender's interest rates in their other endeavors. Just to sort of pivot slightly, debt financing, it's not without its, its risks, right? Is there anything to be said for excessive reliance on debt? Uh, yeah, I mean, there is always a possible psychological barrier when it comes to debt financing, um, especially when looking back at the high interest rate environments of the past. But with relatively cheap debt expected to remain available for the foreseeable future, people and particularly high net worth individuals in this area will continue to maximize uh, the opportunities this brings about. As the sort of interest landscape starts to shift, we are seeing that it will shift with further Fed increases over time. You can expect uh, borrowers to reassess and perhaps the, the appetite to adjust accordingly. Okay. Lastly then, what about 
the the prevalence that we're seeing of first-time buyers, is that any indication as to the state of the market generally? It was a really big feature of the market over the last two years. So there are more new players in the market than we've ever seen before. And the entry of inexperienced players in a market is often the indication of a market peak. And to some extent, it's no different here. I think that some people are looking at this as we've reached the high point already. And because of the the shortages and strains on the industry that I've mentioned before um, in relation to pilots and maintenance providers and FBOs, we might be coming to the end of, of that particular feature. But I think there's a very positive outlook for, for manufacturers and the industry generally. Uh, prices remain high and supply is still very short. So I think we're going to continue to see not necessarily new players in the same percentage as we did over the last two years, but um, certainly an, uh, a continued influx of that. And then in terms of sort of the volume of the deals and whether we're going to continue at the pace that we've seen over the last two years, mm. sometimes that's tempered by some experienced voices in the market. So some of the lenders that we speak to who have specialist aviation teams are very good about talking customers or potential customers out of buying too much airplane for their needs. So, you know, a, a continued refrain is that you should buy the aircraft based on your mission, not necessarily based on an advantageous tax treatment or spending X amount of dollars. Um, you do need to look at the broader picture and your operations sure. in order to assess what type of aircraft and at what value you want to invest. Yeah, okay. I, th- I mean, that all makes sense. Thank you. Now we're going we're gonna to quickly move on to the second topic for the day, which is sanctions risk. Now, obviously, sanctions are, are notorious for their wide-ranging application. And given the nature of aircraft ownership, tax structures, and political sensitivities, amongst other things, it's not always straightforward to assess the sanctions risk profile of a proposed sale or purchase. Is that right? Correct. It wasn't something that was top of mind until quite recently, but the war in Ukraine and the increased sanctions on Russia are so widespread that the potential for it to affect transactions in the US or elsewhere is significant. And we've got a you know an asset that can move around. It's international, it's mobile, it can pass through various different hands on its way to the current buyer. So one part of our analysis that we as lawyers were able to help clients with is is looking at the asset and the prior ownership and making sure that they are not acquiring an asset that is or was subject to sanctions. Sometimes, um, you know, that involves more than just looking at the name of the previous buyer. We need to look behind that. Many of the aircraft in this space are owned by trusts, so we need to to look at the beneficial ownership of the aircraft as well, and also the recent history of any transactions for that aircraft. So an analysis is done on on the names of the people who are the beneficiaries, and we can also look at publicly available information on uh, the people themselves and whether the assets or the trust was moved to different areas during the course of the transaction. So to summarize, you know, it's a new, it's, a, it's always been a risk. Um, there's certainly new focus on it. And we, we have the capability to, to analyze those risks. And we have a very experienced sanctions team in DC who help out on, on those transactions. So shifting away from the markets, uh, we're now going to take a look at 
another hot topic, arguably the hot topic for the aviation industry as a whole, sustainability, and specifically sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF as it's commonly known. The broader impact of this was covered in our earlier podcast on ESG in aviation finance, but I wanted to look at how sustainability might also be front of mind for business jet owners and service providers. Jonathan, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first off, I think I should point out that while it's very important that the right kind of efforts are made to reduce CO2 emissions on a continuing basis, the aviation sector does seem to come under a disproportionate amount of criticism when compared to other sectors, certainly. After all, aviation only accounts for around 3% of all global emissions and only for around 12% of all transport-related emissions. Having said that, of course, we all know we need to play our part and SAF is the key component, I'd say, in the aviation sector achieving its goals. Now, relevant to the owners of private jets being, whether they are high net worth individuals or companies, they, in this context, they're held to an even higher standard, arguably, and will therefore be at the front of the queue to subscribe to and invest in SAF as a way of evidencing their green credentials. And what are the goals, and is the sector on course to meet them? Well, the goal is to produce approximately 450 to 500 million tonnes of SAF by 2050 in order to meet sector emissions targets. Now, in terms of where we are in the timeline for the introduction of SAF, OEMs and operators are moving on from, from the initial education phase, which primarily covered what SAF is and whether it's safe to use. Um, and, and the attentions are now turning towards the more practical side of things, so affordability, feasibility, and, and production. Does that mean that we're broadly on course to meet the 2050 production targets of 500 million tonnes? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say, but I'd say it's achievable. It will require more than, it's estimated more than $500 billion worth of investment. Another estimation is that it'll involve the creation of 23 new production plants per year on average along the way. That may sound daunting, but as investment incentives increase and production efficiencies develop, we should start to see light at the end of the tunnel. So I think it's also worth noting that electric aircraft are expected to become commonplace by 2040. So that that kind of dovetails quite well. And yeah, what I've sort of heard from industry players at the events that I've been to is that these girls are difficult, but things are moving in the right direction. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say yes, that's right. And actually, this it fits with the, the wider picture of increasing awareness and, and criteria for sustainable investments. So during the last couple of years, ultra high net worth individuals have similarly started to shift their attentions towards ESG, philanthropy and, and the greater good, as you might call it. On the ESG side, they increasingly want to know that their investment portfolios are rated to ESG standard and that they otherwise meet sustainability criteria. Unfortunately, we've come to an end of our our chat now. That's all we have time for today. So I would like to say thank you very much, Richard, for your your valuable insights and for joining me. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, it was a pleasure to speak to you. We've got some industry events coming up, so it will be It'll be great to connect with these innovative companies and, uh, and, and all of the related uh, industry providers at the Revolution Aero event, uh, which is happening in San Francisco in September. Okay. Well, thanks again, Richard. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you can join us again next time. Bye.